Many of you may have read the article on CNN that went viral. The article was about stem cells in autism, specifically umbilical cord stem cells. If you did, I'll clarify it. If you didn't see it, I'll explain it. Stem cells for autism have been a controversial topic. And of course, you can understand why. Stem cells in general can be controversial. There are different types of stem cells. Some are derived from skin, others from existing cells, some from embryos, some from bone marrow, and some from umbilical cord. Umbilical cord stem cells are easily obtained from the umbilical cord at birth, and thanks to amazing medical technology, can be extracted from the cord and then stored for later use should someone need the stem cells. They're mostly used for blood disorders like leukemia. Unlike getting a donation from another person which carries the risk of rejection, using someone's own cord blood can be a safer alternative, minimizing the use of anti-rejection drugs. If they can repair blood cells, can they repair brain cells? Umbilical cord stem cells have been used for cerebral palsy and brain injury. They might suppress inflammation. Therefore, they might be effective for autism. I've heard of people going overseas to get stem cell transplants that require severe immune suppression. This is because they're receiving cells that are not theirs. Just Google it. There are sites in China, in Panama, in Costa Rica. The reason they have to go abroad is because it's incredibly frowned upon in the U.S. Nobody has ever studied it in a rigorous way. It could be dangerous, and who knows, it could make autism symptoms worse. So if you want to study it right, have it done by a top autism researcher collaborating with scientists studying stem cell therapies in clinical settings. So thanks to a donation from Bernie Marcus, that is Home Depot's co-founder Bernie Marcus, that's exactly what Duke University did. Their first step was to look at the safety of one intravenous infusion of an autologous umbilical cord blood infusion. Autologous means it was the same cord blood as the person receiving it. The study also looked at some preliminary measures of change across time. The study was preliminary again. The authors are not saying that this should be taken with the same credibility as a randomized controlled clinical trial. They collected way more data than they reported in this first study, and I assume that some of this data is going to be reported later. Mostly they found that, again, with no control, improved global impressions by clinicians and a decreased number of individuals that showed severe symptoms. That's all they said. It's interesting results from what could be a very important study. Of course I have my doubts, but who cares? So do the authors. I want to state very clearly that the study authors were clear in the media and in their paper about the limitations. In fact, here is a direct quote from the first paragraph of the discussion. Quote, As an uncontrolled open-label study, it is not possible to determine whether the observed behavioral changes were due to the treatment or reflect the natural course of development during the preschool period. End quote. That didn't stop CNN from sensationalizing it, though. They started out with a family whose daughter showed a pretty much remarkable result after the IV infusion, which may or may not have had anything to do with the treatment. And then they led in with criticisms, which had to do with the same limitations the author stipulated. This sort of thing happens all the time in autism, but given that people are traveling all around the world to get a much less safe version of this treatment, I'm shocked that it rose to the level that it did at CNN. But of course it did. Enough on this. I'm excited to see the next phase and not to put CNN in a quarter like Sean Spicer, but they really are truly awful at reporting autism stories. Now on to other science. 
There are many genes associated with autism and epilepsy, and for most of them, it's unclear what they do or if the genes have multiple functions. But there is one called SCN2A, which is a little more simple. It controls a sodium channel. It opens up a channel on a brain cell, letting sodium in or turning on the cell so the neuron fires. If you think about it, it makes sense. If you have a mutation and the cell is turned on too much, there could be overactivity, which leads to seizures. Last year, I profiled a family advocacy group called Families SCN2A, founded by two remarkable mothers. In many cases, autism is the least of these families' problems, with children suffering hundreds of debilitating seizures a day. Drugs are desperately needed to target this ion channel, but their specific use can sometimes be unclear. Is there a specific profile of people with SCN2A mutations that clinicians should be aware of? Would they be more effective in some people and not other people? In a new study, a large group of scientists from all over Europe looked at the medical records and drug administration profiles and outcomes of about 70 patients. They found that the use of sodium channels blockers, which target the SCN2A receptor, was often associated with a good outcome or seizure reduction in children with early infantile epilepsies, younger than three months, whereas other anti-epileptic drugs were less effective. In contrast, sodium channel blockers were not so effective in epilepsies with later onset, older than three months, and sometimes induced seizure worsening in this group. They found one type of SCN2A mutations in the early onset epilepsies, and they found another type of mutations in those with later onset in a group of cases without epilepsy. This information should certainly be used to help neurologists match treatments with different types of epilepsy, which is probably why it was published in a journal directed towards neurologists. Thanks for listening this week, and I'll talk to you next week.